0: And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today?
1: Well, Lloyd, today our show is about software security. And do we have a great guest today. And, in fact, I've been reading this wonderful book called Core Software Security – Security at the Source by James Ransom and Amal Misra, who is his co-author. But we're really lucky today because we actually have James Ransom on the line with us. And let me tell you a little bit about him. First of all, I was so thrilled to meet him in Santa Fe at the uh, Responsible Information Management Council by Dr. Leary Poneman, who's been on our show, and he's a friend of ours. And I was so excited to meet James. He's really got an incredible background, and he has this wonderful book. So let me tell you a little bit about him. James Ransom, uh, C-I-S-S-P and C-I-S-M. He's a security expert. He is the Senior Director of Product Security and responsible for all aspects of McAfee's product security program to include product security incident response team, a corporate-wide initiative that supports the delivery of secure software products to their customers. And he's a recognized security practitioner, author, and speaker with a current focus on software security. That's why we're going to be talking to him. His career is marked by leadership positions in the private public industries, having served in three chief information Officer and four Chief Security Officer roles at such companies as Applied Materials, Autodesk, Quest Communications, Pilot Network Services, Exodus Communications, Exodus Communications Cable and Wireless Company, and Cisco. Wow! Uh, Dr. Ransom was also the Vice President of Integrated Security at CH2M Hill and Senior Vice President of uh, commercial managed and professional security services at Secure Info, Inc. And while at Exodus Communications and Cable and Wireless, he managed internet and physical security for hundreds of thousands of users within the world's largest commercial hosting environment, serving more than forty-five hundred customers from forty-two data centers. So we, boy, we know that a lot of people relied on him. You can learn more about. McAfee at McAfee.com. And more about Dr. Ransom at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. So we're just thrilled to have you join us and good to talk to you again. James, thank you.
0: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure being part of your show today.
1: Well, first of all, tell me why? why is it that you decided to write this book, Core Software Security, Security at the Source?
0: Well, it's been a passion of mine for quite a while. I've had, as you already said, seven CISO, CISO roles over the years. And it's a role that's actually reported to me off and on. And I, when I had a chance to actually take on a, a challenge, something as large as the uh, product suite that we have at McAfee, I decided to take it on because I believe uh, that security is done best when it's done at the source. And that's what I'll be uh, talking to you about today.
1: Yes. And, you know, I, I, I noticed in your book you have a whole little outline about the book and the step-by-step prof- process for so- software security. And I thought that was so important that even if we are non-techies like you are, you know, we're non-security people, it's still really important when we own our business or we work for a business that we know what they're doing for security because it's so important even for for consumers, right?
0: Oh, yes, definitely. In fact, uh, one of the nice challenges is not only... Do I support the enterprise side, but the consumer side for our product suites. We have over 66 different products, tier one products. I'm responsible for, so it gives me quite a challenge in applying the principles that I have outlined in the book uh, to to both consumer and enterprise. Yes,
1: yeah, so tell us what is the difference between software and application security?
0: Well, interesting you say that because the term product, also known as software security for software f- firms, is often confused with the term application security, which I think all of you hear quite a bit. I believe that Gary McGraw, a longtime software security practitioner, author, and guru, has defined the difference best in his 2006 book titled Software Security, Building Security In. And his definition for that actually reads as follows. On one hand, software security is about building secure software. Designing software to be secure, making sure that software is secure, and educating software developers, architects, and users about how to build security in. On the other hand, application security is about protecting software and systems that software runs in a post facto only after development is complete. And of course, to put it simply, all software that is pre release and in development is in the domain of software security, and once the product is released into the market and used by customers or hosted by vendors, the focus on security in that realm is considered application security. The one exception is when security, quality, and privacy flaw is found in the design post-release. It's then passed back over the wall to protect security. Typically, the product security incident response team, otherwise known by the acronym p um, or sometimes it's given directly to the developers, quality, or privacy team for remediation as appropriate. In any case, the product security group or team will be required to remediate an externally discovered vulnerability found post-release. So anything pre-release is the responsibility of software security, and anything post-release, for the most part, is application security.
1: Right. And so, you know, for those of us who are users who don't know much, it's really gonna we're gonna rely on you guys to to do the software security and to, like you said, build in security and privacy right into the uh, architecture of the software so that when it comes to us, we don't have to worry about it and we don't have to, like, try and figure out how to make it more secure or or be the um, victims of, of the failure to secure, the failure to include privacy. So, yeah, it's like privacy and security by design, right?
0: Yes, it is. And to quote a famous movie star who's getting a lot of mileage out of his quote, it takes a set of special skills to do this. And, that, and those are, of course, the architects that form the core of, of what is known as software security. It's, as I'll talk probably about later, uh, it's an art. It's not, uh, it's not just a technical skill, but it's an art unto itself. You know, frankly, as long as software is still designed by, uh, by people... Uh, it'll take people to actually fix those flaws.
1: Yeah. So, although software development companies have known about the need to build security and there's all sorts of compliance issues, right, and privacy compliance, although they have, um, these developers have known about that is so important to build in that security and privacy throughout the development process. Um, is it is it really being done all the time? And if not, why?
0: Well. Uh, a lot of it's been for a lot of years there's a big price for doing so and people need to realize that i I think the reason there just hasn't been a focus there's folks that are out there such as howard schmidt and others that are really pushing that hard through organizations like safeguard larry poneman doctor larry poneman who you brought up earlier is pushing that too it needs to be really built in but i don't think people really realize the price for not doing it i mean if you go back to say nineteen eighty eight Barry Boehm, who's very famous for the stats in that area, said that defects found in the field cost 50 to 200 times as much to correct as those corrected earlier. And Mm -hmm. then years later, he stated that this ratio was 5 to 1 for uh, small, non-critical systems. And then data presented by Fortify, one of the more famous reports on that in 2008, indicate that the cost of correcting security flaws at the requirements level is up to a hundred times less than the cost of correcting security flaws in the fielded software so I think in the past that people um, didn't realize that uh, the cost is so high and as people realize that and the implications for not having secure software uh, for instance in our uh, weapon systems or national security systems or infrastructure um, they'll realize that Um, You know, the bottom line is that it costs very little to afford potential security defects early on in development, especially compared to costing 10, 20, 50, or even 100 times that amount later on in development.
1: Exactly. I think that's really a a challenging job for security people and security experts like yourself to explain that to boards, uh, corporate boards, and to the top dogs in government because they're looking at you know at least for commercial entities that's not a profit center <laughs> you know the security department is not a profit center and so um you know that isn't always the case that that everybody's so excited to get software out there and to make the money and that's a profit center that they uh sometimes uh kind of skimp on this on the security and the privacy would you say that's right
0: oh yes and in fact you know some people don't realize that um that there's also implications for the potential cost of regulatory fines, lawsuits, loss right. of business due to security and privacy protection laws discovered in your software, particularly after release, your branding can be affected. And this is precisely why the architects, the senior architects that I have on the team and the ones that we mentor over time have to be as good on the business side and their people skills as they are on their technical skills
1: because right, they the have to go at
0: the bottom of the line this is uh, or at the uh, you know bottom line is that this is a business issue at the end of the
1: day yeah you know what I think is interesting is like you know people who are really wonderful technologists and security people and someone like you luckily you you have the skills of being a people person besides and and you know being able to articulate but there are a lot of people in security who don't have those skills and so when they You know, they don't know how to go to their boards or they don't know how to articulate some of these things. And so it gets lost in the shuffles. So that's why your book is really very important because it it does bring this kind of uh, information to a conscious level. So what do you believe is the ideal organizational structure for optimizing developer-centric software?
0: Well, let's see. Although there's been a lot of great advances in uh, software security technology over the last few years, I believe that people are still the most important element of a successful software security program that includes the implementation and management of activities and best practices. And in order to facilitate the best use of people responsible for software security, I believe they must be part of the right organization. And, of course, that's what you alluded to, too. So, where is that? Well, having been in seven uh, CSO and Chief Information Security Officer roles, and having had software security reporting to mean several of my roles, it's very clear to me that the software security function should ideally fall within the engineering or software development function, and in particular within the quality function. The general consensus we talked about earlier is that application security a uh, role typically reports to the centralized information security role, such as I've had in the past as a CSO or CISO role. And it, again, should not be confused with software security function. Typically, those who are in application security role within IT security organization are really great at running tools, but they just don't have the software development background necessary to fully interpret those results. The advantage of having software security experts reporting to the engineering organization is that they're empowered by the fact that they're part of the same organization that is developing the software and also they're directly responsible for de- uh, implementing the software development lifecycle or SBL policies and procedures and associated tools and also understand software development which is most important and its architecture and the level of effort that's actually required to fix the same many times we have people Unfortunately, on the CISO side, they don't have the people that know a lot about software development. and Therefore, they push things out, policies that are almost impossible to deliver on time. So they need recognition of how long it really takes to basically turn that ship. Sometimes they're easy things to fix, and I equate it to something like turning a battleship uh, versus an aircraft carrier versus a PT boat. Uh, you need to be cognizant of the level of effort it's going to take. And a few reasons for my preference for Software Security Group to report to the Software Quality Group include the following. Number one, security vulnerabilities are, by definition, quality issues. Uh, Number two, security features are architectural functions with a very close relationship to product management. And number three, based on the first and second items I just described, security is both a feature and a quality function. And lastly, quality is best served when it is integral the development process uh, and include security in the engineering uh, process itself.
1: Now, how often does this really happen in organizations where, where it you know the engineering department is really part of this? I mean, is this something that's pretty common, or are no, you suggesting? No, it's not, and okay. that's
0: the reason I wrote the book. Yeah, I have a passion for that and believe it should be. Now, one thing I'd have to say is not all organizations are large enough to have. A quality organization that the security group can fit into, but at a minimum, I believe that it should be part of the engineering department because they own the part- if there's a lot of power and ownership because these people they have this esprit de corps for lack of better word where they feel like they own the issue. it's not just somebody dictating it to them. And again, they take pride in ownership in making sure that they don't have any flaws in their product.
1: Right, right. So, what do you what do you suggest for a company that can't afford to have that? Uh, you know, uh, an engineering department that they that they uh, kind of partner with outside engineers. Or what? What is your suggestion? Because not every company is a big enough company to have that.
0: Well, you know, maybe I should talk. Well, I'll talk about two things. One is what what we need to do about it, and then what type of talent that we need
1: yeah, to okay. do, to
0: use that. So okay. um basically it's what I call in the book a developer centric software security program. And this goes a long way in addressing that issue. And of course our book Cork Software Security expounds on a developer centric software security, which we call a holistic process, engage creativity for security. And developer centric uh security is not only feasible, but it's also cost-effective and operationally relevant, the two things that you were highlighting that it isn't all the time when you try to roll these out in other companies or what we've seen in the past. And this methodology uh, builds security into software development, which lies at the heart of our cyber infrastructure. So whatever development method is employed, software must be secured at the source. And as long as software, as I said before, is developed by humans, It requires the human element to to fix it. But, you know, basically rather than presenting security as a deluge of vulnerabilities when security people shift to a developer-centric focus, security is actually presented as attributes that need inclusion for success and errors that developers wish to move. And in this way, developers and security people can work together tightly craft appropriately secure software. And my message there really is that you make it no different than developing the software. Security should be part of a developer's DNA. It shouldn't be something separate. It should be part of, de- of developing good code. And once they realize that, that it's not this esoteric discipline that's out somewhere else, that it's part of developing code, it really changes their mind. And when you make it developer-centric, at least we believe based on our experience that um you know, you get the pride. again, as I said earlier, uh, a pride and ownership. But also, what we do is when we develop a model like this, we examine cost efficiency and we optimize performance and organizational structure. And this really resonates well with the uh, with the senior management. And of course, uh, you can also expand on. Um, you know, you can expand on on leveraging the talent that you already have that exists within your organization. And probably to talk about that, it'd be good for me, if, if you've got a moment, for me to talk about the talent you need and where we pull that talent from, which is a little different than, you know, hiring people from, uh, you know, outside the organization. We actually build it into the organization through a, uh, rather than just training, but a mentoring program. Yeah, now that
1: makes a lot of sense to me because if you have a mentoring program, then you show them what you, you know, you're you're training them to be, um, you know, uh, centric like you're talking about. I just wanted to add on uh, what you were talking about building the security into the development and, and it's integral to it and privacy is the same. It's And I think for my listeners to kind of understand the idea how I, as a, just a layperson, think about it is if you're building a home – and um, you wanted to have air conditioning, you're not gonna add it on later, right? It's gonna cost you more and it's gonna be ineffective. And that may sound stupid, but really, I mean, that's just an easy way that if you build into the architecture of whatever you're building, then it isn't an afterthought. It isn't a mess afterwards, and um, it it saves a lot of money, and, and not only that, it's much more effective. So I'm just trying to add on to that, that not only do you need to build security, but at the same time, you build privacy. And so you need that team of the engineers, of the developers, of the security experts, of the privacy people. Don't you think that that kind of team is is what's needed?
0: Yes, and I think protecting users' privacy is, of course, another important component of the SDL, or software development lifecycle process. And the privacy team, it's imperative that they're part of the system design principle of uh, significant and, uh, you know, that they play a significant importance in all phases of the SDL. And just as with a uh, failure in security, as you well know as a privacy expert, a failure to protect the customer's privacy will lead to an erosion of trust, and that's what we're most worried about. And as with security, software that's already progressed through the development cycle can be very expensive to change, and it's much less expensive to integrate privacy preservation methodologies and techniques into the appropriate phases of the to preserve the privacy of individuals and protect personally identifiable information data early on rather than later. And again, we, we firmly believe that it's imperative that privacy protections be built into the SDLC through best practices implemented through the SDL. And therefore, we strongly believe that privacy should work in conjunction with security as part of it. Again, is quality, if you have a strong quality team, and overall as part of the overall engineering development teams, and some of the people that we work with and we've been successful at, you know them personally, and we have a very tight relationship with them, and it works really well. Uh, We like that. They don't have to... So what happens is the product security champions... Again, I'll go over how we structure that. We take people from development teams. um, In our case, we have 66 tier one products, and we have five... Uh, be used that those products all belong to, you know, depending on what they are, it depends where those products float up to. But each one of those, including the Tier 1 products, has a product security champion. These are all, unlike the IT security champions that I've had in the past that promulgate policy and do other things for us, these are actually folks that have developed software for three to five years. They have a passion for security, and we recruit them heavily. They come in. We not only train them, but most importantly, we mentor them over a two- to three-year period to be software security architects in their own right. And that's why I call what we describe in the book a self-sustaining um, uh, product security model because as they move up the chain, so to speak, in a military style, other people move on to do better and bigger things. And, of course, when you mentor these folks, you're going to lose 10 or 20% of them because this is the hottest field in the market right, right now right. as far as pay. So along with that, we not only train them in mentoring and security, but we train them in privacy, the elements of privacy, which I don't see being done a lot. Now, again, it takes attorneys and other people with different skills to be actual privacy experts, but they know enough to come up with the privacy impact uh, statement in conjunction with the appropriate people on the team. So essentially what I'm doing is I'm creating an extended organization, not only uh, for myself throughout the organization, because then... I basically have a proxy team of 66 or 70 people, which there's no way I'd be able to hire that many. I manage this all with a small team of three to four people, and I talk about how any other organization could do that uh, in the book, but also if you're a small organization where you could do it with one or two people. Uh, But we also do the same for privacy. Our our, uh, chief privacy officer now has another 66 people that are out there embedded in the software development life for all our products that becomes her eyes and ears as well.
1: And I think it's really wonderful that you have this mentoring and it's like train the trainer so that as you train and people move up like you said move up the ladder or they move on that if they're mentoring and then that you have a culture of mentoring each other that um, you know you just don't Get somebody right out of school and dump them, and say, "Okay, this is what you need to do." You're mentoring them all along, and I think that is just a, a wonderful way to go to get them to really do and and learn the, um, you know, to, to 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 have the high quality that you want to have, and have the, the the kind of challenges that you have to meet. Um, you can meet them when you're when you're doing this.
0: So well, one of the things I found that was really I, I was passionate about too is I found as we all have. As you know, especially in my CSO, CISO roles, it's much easier to train developers to be security experts than it is IT security folks to be developers. It's, oh, you know, here. Yeah. Rare, <laughs> rare exceptions, you're not going to have that. And the same with privacy. You know, we have our privacy experts, but we become in reverse the eyes and ears for them. So we interject um, different privacy elements of what we call privacy engineering at our company uh, as needed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's interesting that you talked about that That it's easier to train um, software development people in security than to teach security people software development because software development sounds to me like it's more um, like creative, you know, the creative side. <laughs> so if you don't have that creativity, it might be a little bit harder to be creative. So that makes a well, lot of sense. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and we, we also, well,
0: that's the part. And if I had another half hour to go, I'd talk about... Why it's important to instill the creative part of all these individuals. I'm glad you put that up. And we talk a lot about it in the book. You know, you're, you're, yeah. that's what gets these folks to be passionate and again, the pride and ownership. Also, for since a lot of your audiences are privacy professionals, I think that you know it's important to know that you can include uh, your privacy team into your T-cert or your privacy incident response team response. We do it with our C-shirt as well when it's on the IT side. Um, also, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to ensuring how we ensure that the privacy team requirements are built into the SDL. I could talk about either one of those if you'd like, but... Let me you know where
1: you want to go with this. Yeah, well, you know, I really loved in the beginning of the book where you talk about the, you know, basically the, the five elements that you talk about in the book. And I thought one of the interesting things was where were you talking about uh, the three most important SDL security goals. You said uh, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, also known as the CIA model. You want to talk a little bit about that? I thought that was a very interesting. Well,
0: Yeah, that carries over, all three of those carry over to to what we're talking about. And traditionally, I think the CIA model's been known in in information security, but it's also those same elements play into privacy. They play into quality, and they play into security. So what we've done is we've come up with a holistic approach that addresses all three of those and then of course we have our three elements of what we believe are important to uh, on the security side as well uh, i won't get into details on that but the, the main thing is is that we it's it's still an art to do that and it takes an architecture uh, you, an architect i should say a senior software security architect and folks that are working under those individuals to really address those well, especially in today's complex environment. You don't have the shrink wrap software going out anymore. It's going to be SaaS. It's going to be cloud enabled. They're all the above. There's literally hundreds and sometimes thousands of moving parts. And you have to make sure that the CIA, the elements of those, uh, are adhered to throughout the process. And that's both, uh, pre-release. And it's also post-release because some of those elements can change when you deploy your software and combine it with other software packages, or I should say solutions, out in the wild. So our folks get involved in that as well, both our security, privacy, and quality people.
1: Yeah. We have really just about another minute left, and and it might take too long to answer, but maybe you could just give us a quickie on this one. And that is, you, you mentioned in your book that selling and reselling software security programs are really important for its survival, for the program's survival. What do you mean by that?
0: Well, security, in particular software security, is a process, not a point in time, just like privacy. In order to keep the interest and priority in your security and privacy program, it must be evangelized and sold on a regular basis to keep the priority, need, and importance fresh in the minds of developers and managers until it becomes second nature. It is just part of the process of developing uh, good code and products, and ultimately result in job security for the developers and safety for your customers. And selling a program not only includes training, mentoring, brown bags, internal news letters, and program reviews, but also about building partnerships and building trust.
1: Okay. Well, your program
0: will fail over time.
1: Well, we are out of time. So I just want to mention your wonderful book. This is James Ransom's book called Core Software Security, Security at the Source. And you can go to McAfee.com, and you can also go to our website to learn more. So thank you so much, James, for joining us. This is fascinating and a great book. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and net. I'm, I'm Maury Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Thanks. Stay private.